And welcome back to the discussion phase, a board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love to talk about the games we love. As always, I'm your host, Matthew. And I'm Brady. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at two different worlds, Brady, the worlds of video games and the world of board games, looking at where they differ, uh, where they're alike, and seeing if we can find a common ground to merge the two interests. We'll also be reviewing some recent plays. We'll also be having a little fun game for you at the end of the episode. So as always, stay tuned. And buckle up. Matthew, it was a good weekend. I went away to... It was a good weekend. You did go away. I did go away <laughs> uh, to my to Knoxville to hang out with some of my college buddies who, as we know, like some a little bit of lighter games, which is always refreshing for me after coming up here or being up here and playing all In the majors. try-hard games. It's like, good to let loose a little bit and play some... Uh, it's a good palate cleanser. Yeah, yeah. With it, well, I'm glad you made it back safely because we have been in a whirlwind of weather here. Just last weekend, it was 72 degrees, nice, sunny, everyone getting their tans on. And then this past weekend, I woke up Saturday morning and we had three, or four inches or so of snow. Yeah, in Knoxville, just overnight. So I drove to Knoxville on Friday. We had, and I drove in shorts and a t-shirt because it was like 70 degrees yeah, outside. Feels great. That night, and the next day, we woke up with probably seven or eight inches of snow. It was crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Which, that doesn't happen too often here in Tennessee. Well, not not that much snow, yeah. but during the spring weather, we're infamous for one day, it's being hot, your AC's on, the next day, you're going to turn your heat on in, in yeah. your house. Uh, that's very common. You can't pack away those winter clothes until it's like three, like a solid month of like just warm weather. Yeah. Well, and good news, John made it back from his honeymoon. Yes, I we He's got to still married. with him last night. It was the first time I had seen him. Um, I had a little bit of a rough day yesterday getting back from Knoxville. I had a flat tire, needed to decompress a little bit, but then I made it out to the game night anyways just so I yeah. could see. And what do we get John. in? Well, we, well, before you got there, we got in a three-player game of Root, which is always fantastic. Um, but we played a little Rising Sun, and it's been a, a little while since we've last played Rising Sun, obviously, of the Air Clan games, Ankh had been the most recent on our palette, along with Blood Rage sprinkled in here and there. Um, but what are your thoughts kind of going back to uh, Rising Sun and yeah. then still comparison, well, comparing did, them to the other games? We did something a little interesting, which is not something we usually I don't think we've do. ever played the way we did last night. Yeah. So, and you might be wondering, ooh, like what, what expansion did they, did they add? Did they add, you know, the special Kickstarter Deluxe Whatever. No, we actually took away all of that stuff. Just played base game. And no, played the like just about the basis game you could have played. We still had the upgraded components, but yeah. we didn't throw in the all, just all the plethora of extra monster, which is just such a hard temptation not to do. We didn't also throw in the Kami, uh, the Kami Unbound expansion, which essentially um, there's like a priest kind of area control thing at the top of the board for bonuses. Yeah. But one expansion gives those also a god that you can tr- control. Uh, which the thing is there's can be so much going on and it's already a game where pieces move so frequently across the board and there's no unit restrictions to any region. So things can just get hectic and chaotic. And it's very hard that we found. And one of the biggest attractors is that when we want to put in all these fun gods, cause they have cool abilities. Like the yeah. gods are cool. They have cool abilities, but it almost gets to the point to where it's just so much going on that it's hard to keep track of it. Yeah. And right? then unlike 
uh, Blood Rage. Um, well, actually, no. In Blood Rage, multiple people can be in the battle. Um, but yeah, so in this one, Everyone's everyone can two. be in the battle. Um, and so you have to keep up with everyone's stuff. And there's a lot of stuff. There's coins that people have. There's Ronin that people have, which are like extra soldiers. And then everyone has monsters, special abilities, and all of that stuff. So it can be kind of difficult to going into a battle where everybody's in it, keep up with all of that stuff when there's a million expansions added to it. Yeah. So we just played a stripped down version of it. Um, and it was a lot, it was a lot more elegant and clean. Um, I enjoyed it. I still say the biggest weakness of the game, which is silly because that's kind of how it's, it's touted is the negotiating slash diplomacy part of joining your Alliance member at the T ceremony yeah. at the beginning. And I will say though, I, I got a little more diplomatic when it came to the battles because one of my biggest complaints is a lot of times the battling system is a little more interesting probably than Blood Rage. In Blood Rage, you just kind of count up the power, add a card, and then that's basically it. In this one, you have this hidden player screen with a few different options on the back, um, and you basically auction off coins or uh, or bid coins on these different sections to try to win in different aspects of the battling. And, of course, there's like a kill all of your people for points section, which is always in the Eric Lang games. Um, but to me, it always feels a little too random and like paper, rock, scissors uh, based on what they're going to do because, um, yeah, like you, because you can get points in, in a lot of different ways, is not evident that someone is trying to win or not. And so a lot of times I feel like I'm really bad at trying to guess what the opponent's going to do and end up just wasting a bunch of coins on something I shouldn't have. So yeah. I just leaned in on diplomacy a couple of times um, with Jacob and I, and I said, Jacob, what do you want to happen in this battle? Yeah, and he's like, I just, want, I just want to kill all my people. And I'm like, okay, I want to win the battle. So we just like... We didn't... And there's nothing wrong with that if the person yeah. is willing to talk with you about it. I mean, that's part of the game. Now, obviously, they could be lying to you, right? Yeah, they could be. And that's that's the yeah. the tricky part. So we didn't play, like, them. open-handed, you know, with the bid. We still bid, so we still had to put a little faith in each other. But, yeah, I mean, it's, that I was just like, okay. And w- there were a few battles he and I had where we just basically agreed to do, you know, what the other wanted to do, and it kind of worked out. There was still a little bit of untrust there. there I was a hoping he was going to betray you. There are a couple of coins still on on things that you know they shouldn't have been at the time or whatever, but um, but yeah, it was fun. So I leaned in a little bit more into the diplomacy and, in that aspect. And most importantly, though, you won the game. I did win the game and by a very I, large margin. Yeah, and I did not. The funny thing is, is I was probably the most surprised that I won the game because by the second age or whatever, I had exactly one point and everyone else had um they were kind of maybe around the 20s or so um and probably the reason for that is because like i have never been able to lean hard into the kill my own people strategy in any of these games it just feels so fundamentally wrong to me well the most beautiful part is you don't have to do it to win yeah well and i so whenever you win battles it is not apparent that you are scoring points no. Because your score marker Doesn't does not go up. Until the end of the game. Because when you get a, the region token, and all the regions reset at the end of the round, and they're worth one point in the first age, two points in the second age, three points in the third age, you calculate all those up at the end. But also there is, um, every region's a different color. 
Yeah. So there's bonus points for capturing different regions, which I really like because it actually promotes a lot of movement on the board. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where a lot of games, people can just sit. Even in Blood Rage, there's a little bit of that. People can kind of turtle up and just sit on one region over mm-hmm. and over. This game uh, it encourages you to move around, which yeah. I do like. To the regions that are like activating. Yeah, or around. the regions that you haven't conquered yet because yeah. you can score 10, 20, or 30 bonus points depending on how many different types of regions you conquered. Yeah. And, so and that you was something getting, we leaned into a little bit as well because you're, you know, I need a certain region, you know, John needs a certain region. And so I say, John, do you need this region? He goes, you know, no, I already have it. And I'm like, okay, well, I already have this one over here. So we could do a little tradesy tradesy type of thing. Um, we'll and, be willing to give each other. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's part of, that. that's part of the game. Uh, we usually don't lean into that as much as we have in the past. We're more just, just fighting it out no matter what, but you, uh, you I mean, you won by a yeah. very, very large margin. I think you had like around 80 points, 87 points or something. Yeah. It's, it's like our like highest that. scoring game. Yeah. And it kind of came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere for me too, because I had so many points in winning battles. Um, and you I had, just did you had, not in, think... you had those winner season cards too for end game yeah, scoring as well. I had a couple of those. Yep. Did it, um, did it raise your opinion on the game any? Are you willingness to play it more? A little bit. Um, I still don't love the game. Still not nearly as much as I love Blood Rage. Um, but I would much rather play it simplified. I do think it makes it just much more elegant. You're able to strategize and just plan out a lot more when there's not just like 15 monsters on the board that all do like crazy different abilities and things like that. And the the battling system is already a lot because like you said, we've kind of talked about this with the monsters. They're very cool, but there's not... Like in Blood Rage, there's a lot to like separate um, units from each other. Like there's warriors and there's leaders and there's monsters and different things can attack and target those different things. In this, everything is more or less the same. And so one of the options is to take a hostage in the combat. And so if you've got this big fat monster dragon, it's worth four or five five points. Strength, yeah. I can just yoink it right out of there with the with the um, traitor or what is it or the captured action and Take now hostage. it's worth and now it's worth nothing because it's um, just on the side yeah and so and if that, you're well, going heavy monster strategy then you've got to be prepared for that and it is difficult to be prepared for that in all of your battles yeah i mean that's the beauty of it is that you're not going to win every battle so you have to strategically you know what am i going to actually try to win um, but i do like that kind of balance though because it just doesn't make these monsters just the end-all, be-all, right? If you don't get a monster, like some games you're like, man, if I don't get that special unit, if I don't get any of these monsters, I just don't have as much of a chance. Yeah. Uh, so what kind of forces people that do have a heavy monster is that they want to try to win the take hostage action, not so much because they want to take you hostage, but they want to make sure they're not taken hostage. Because usually if they have a strong monster, it can win against just a couple other units. But, yeah. but knowing that, though, allows the other opponent to then try to manipulate their other actions for either seppukuing, for killing themselves for points so they can't be taken hostage, or maybe putting them on Imperial Poets so you're getting points for dying in battles, yeah. uh, different things like that. Or you could have a Ronin, and Ronin that you can hire and go in. And so knowing what your opponent needs to survive, and also a lot of it when you're talking about, well, I don't know what they're going to do with rock, paper, scissors. You got to look at the regions resolve in a particular, in a specific order. So like knowing, well, look at my opponent right now. 
what other regions are they going to be in? If this is the last region that they're going to be in a fight, you know that they're just going to spend all their money. But if you know that my opponent has like four other battle areas that they're going to be fighting for and it looks like they're serious about them, they're not likely. I mean, you never have 100% guarantee, which is a cool thing, but you know likely they're not going to be putting a lot of money on a lot of actions. Um, and so you can kind of prepare for that. Sometimes people will purposely just not put anything and lose to you just so they... That's one thing is the winners give their coins to the losers, depending on how many that is. So sometimes they yeah. may just be wanting the coin. So you can literally get any action you want for just one coin when you bid on it. Yeah. And so there is a, I do like the mind game of, of the combat. Yeah. I think it's really I great. I think it's interesting. I just don't think I'm very good at it. Yeah. Um, the other thing we dipped our toes into a little bit with it was we started up a little bit of a king-making conversation. And I'm not going to get too deep into it because I'm trying to work myself up to the king-making conversation one day that I know we will have on this podcast. But it's a lot for me. And uh, we yeah. we got into it a little bit over. And it, it didn't well, end up being like a huge move or anything. Because you ended up winning. But the, at the time, in the third, in the third age or, or season, uh, or when... The card market has cards in it that are like in-game scoring. Like get three points for every this you have or for every this you have. Um, and those can be worth a lot of points for it. I was, there was no way I was winning the game, but you, but it came up to my turn to to buy one of these winner cards. Um, it was one where you get three points per stronghold. Winter. winter. Yeah, winter. Yeah, not yeah. winter. You no, know, winter, like cold. Per. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the cards is three points for every stronghold you had. Um, and, and you had, had one strong, I had one stronghold, but the great thing is like, there's, there's an order in which these resolve. Um, and John was behind me. John at the time had at least three. He might've had all four of his strongholds out. So he was I in the stronghold card. Yeah. And, and I knew that. And I yeah. knew that. And so I knew that if I didn't take it, he would at the yeah. time it was worth three points for me. If I build another stronghold it'd be worth potentially six, but then I have to ask myself, you know, it may only maybe worth six points to me, but the fact that it could take away 12 points from John plus give me six points is an 18 point swing, which in a game of rising sun is huge. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of points in rising sun. You're not scoring hundreds of points in this game. Sometimes average scores can be around the 50, 60 point mark. So that's, that's huge. Um, and so it just got us to this, not like mad. I ended up not doing it. I went for something else, which ended up getting me the same amount of points. And that was kind of my argument is that, you know, if I have two options, they both get me the same amount of points in theory, but yet one of them significantly decreases the amount of not taking, I'm not taking anything away from John, but it prevented him. Yeah. Right. And, isn't and so that, it, was a, it was a small moment in this particular game, um, but it sparked a lot of great conversation yeah. and, that and, will pro that we will lean into a lot more yeah. in probably its own episode, if not a multi-part episode, because I have a lot so of emotional thoughts. thoughts. Yeah on the idea of king-making, the scale of king-making in games. And if you don't know what king-making is, which you probably should if you're listening to this podcast, it's just the idea that you would make a move that would basically allow one person to win that is not yourself, one person to win over another person. Intentionally. For, yeah, intentionally or it, whatever. Yeah, and so it, 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 it sparked the question is, to what degree, when you know you're out of the game, do you yes. still play hard to win um, versus just letting it's, the people it's the ahead? It's the greatest philosophical question in yeah, board games. But versus just pulling back and let the other people ahead win, but then how much pulling back is just quitting the game? 
and how much does that because the thing is when you just pull back you are changing your inherent gameplay right mm-hmm. and so it was just esoterical kind of questions by how much of changing your gameplay by pulling back or pushing in are you influenced the game state as it would normally go or is yeah. that just how the games are supposed to happen i know in my situation i wasn't by me taking that card yeah it would have impacted john but it wasn't overtly helping someone else right versus if i had picked another card that maybe jacob who at the time john and jacob were in the lead that's who we thought one of the two were going to win yeah me I mean, and you were, were yeah. lagging way behind but i mean there's only so many cards out there so i mean i could end up picking another card that could have inadvertently uh, affected jacob right and so it's just it's yeah. also i think a lot of it we'll talk about it more i think when we do a podcast intent right yeah um and how how much out of character are you playing are you yeah. playing out of character? Which for me, I didn't feel like I was. Is like, and you know me, I always like to min max. How much is I'm getting out versus how much am I keeping my opponents from getting? John gave me these puppy eyes and say, "Please, Matthew, please don't do it. Please, I know you're a better board gamer than I am, and I know, I know, no, I know, no, I know that you're that. way better at this game right. than I am. But we're I wanna... gonna, I'm gonna close this conversation okay. <laughs> because I do want to have a full blown conversation later on. It's just an interesting so, thought, it a is. thought debate, yeah. It is. I get very passionate about it. Yeah. Um, so if you have any thoughts, shout us out in the Discord. Maybe ask us some questions. We or can even put in scenarios that you've been in that you've wanted to flip it's, the table It's kind of one of those things to where it really does come down to like the, if you see a, two trains coming down the track, there's a baby on one. Yes. But then there's three old people on the other. What do you do? And it's like if but you... But every scenario is different, right? Yeah. So if you, if you do nothing, the old ladies are going to die. And the baby. No, no, no. Just the old ladies. But if you do, if you pull the lever, then it will switch to oh, the yeah. baby. There's a, there's a lever, right. That's there's right. There's a lever, so it'll switch to the baby. So, like, are you responsible for the old lady's death by doing nothing? You're not actively but involved. But nothing, doing nothing is still a But doing choice. nothing is basically deciding the that leader. you're going to kill the old ladies. So it's really dark. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's kind of how it is. That's yeah, king yeah. making. Yeah. It's, a very, it's a very dark topic. And I think, yeah... Yeah, this is going to be a great. We'll we'll table this for another episode. All right, so you so, wanted to get in some games that you've been playing. Yeah, so I finally completed the trifecta, my triple crown. Of um, space hexagon. Space hexagonal games, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, over the, this weekend, I finally got in Race for the Galaxy. Um, and I really wanted to get in because uh, John, David, Jacob, they just out of nowhere, they've never been... Like they've enjoyed the games, but they've never been like hyped on like Roll or New Frontiers or any of the uh, um, For the Galaxy type games. But all of a sudden, they just all just jumped on this on the uh, BGA uh, board game arena for Race for the Galaxy, talking about, well, I just played it 20 times today. Oh, yeah, I played it 30 times today <laughs> and just trying to just outdo each other. And I'm just like, where is this coming from? I think it may have been while we were on the cruise, they may have started some of this stuff. I think it was because, yeah. uh, um, John was and some other ones didn't have as much going on, so they started playing a lot more online uh, board game arena stuff. And so I was like, "Wow, where's all this like love for this game coming from?" So I finally got it in, um, and it was great. It was fantastic. Um, it definitely is. I mean, obviously, it's, it's what came first, um, but it just fits really in to the whole world of the For the Galaxy series. Um, and it's just so interesting how they can take the same core design and make three completely different styles of play Um, because we have race for the galaxy which is a card building drafting mechanic we have roll which is you're acquiring dice from the worlds that you're um, 
uh, settling, which gives you unique dice, which then uh, allow you to augment your actions. And then you have um, New Frontiers, which is kind of um, the Puerto Rico um, mechanic, um, more simplified uh, to where, you know, one person picks an action at a time. We all do it. The person who picked it had a little bit of a bonus with it. Um, and so I think it's really great. I think all three are great, but I think they all three have their different places. Um, if you were to look in scale of complexity, I would say roll is the most complex. Uh, the biggest reason why is because the dice mitigation and that puzzle itself at the beginning of each round um, is really unique and something that could make people a little harder to uh, conceptualize. Uh, right in the middle is race, and then the easiest, I think, is New Frontiers. Um, the reason why I would probably start with New Frontiers because um, the main concept in all these games is you're either trying to create, settle a world of uh, these worlds. Everything's worth victory points, but the worlds mainly either um, give you production of goods, which you can either you sell for resources or sell for victory points, usually what they're doing. There's a little other ways they work, but that's kind of the core concept. Or you're trying to discover uh, textiles or discoveries or technologies. I can't remember off the top of my head what they are. Um, they're development tiles, essentially, which kind of give you special abilities or is kind of your engine building things. It makes these worth more. It increases your military strength, different things like that. So you're trying to increase production. You're also trying to increase kind of your own engine building thing. And all games have pretty um, similar win triggers. Usually it is always based on how much you build. I think in all games, it's like 12. Like if you have 12 things built... Yeah. Or if so many victory points have been pulled out of the middle. are in the form of space hexagons. Yeah, they are (laughs) hexagons. But based on the number of players, there's like a communal pool of points that you pull from. So it's like a timing. If so many points have been pulled from the pool, that also triggers the end of the game. So that's all three. Um, New Frontiers, I would say, is the easiest to get people into uh, because the only thing that is unknown in the game are the worlds that you pull out from a bag. Um, Because all of the tech tiles... Uh, development tiles as well as kind of the in-game development tiles are all in a global market that you can see from the randomly set up at the very beginning of the game. Um, so it allows people to either plan ahead or just look at what's available, see how the worlds can um, interact with different developments or in-game scoring opportunities. So it gives you a lot of flexibility. Also, it kind of, everyone isn't doing their own thing as quickly or often because how it works is you have a list of, you know, six different actions out here on the board in turn order, you pick an action, everyone does it, right? And then it goes to the next person, and everyone does that. Whereas Roll for the Galaxy and Race for the Galaxy, everyone picks the action, we reveal it, and we all do those kind of simultaneously in a sequential order. That's um, an interesting mechanic. I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah. And so that's that's New Frontiers. It also has really big player boards, so it, it organizes everything very nicely. It organizes your worlds at the, on the outside of your player board, and it, it organizes the development tiles in the middle, and then it shows in-game triggers, your resources. Uh, it also shows, like, the, the goods that you get on the worlds. It shows them as actual, like, really cool uh, plastic um, kind of cubes on cubes. Uh, in different colors, and so it helps conceptualize the things that when I first played these games, I was roll, and so it was really hard for me to kind of understand the very first off, what are these goods, how do these goods work, but in New Frontiers, the goods are actually physical tokens you place on the world, and you can see, and you can physically take it off the world when you sell it for either money, or you sell it for victory points, however those worlds work, different worlds can convert goods and different stuff, so it's really good for conceptualizing things, 
Um, and so the next step I would say is race. Um, and I would explain the difference is both your worlds and your developments come from a stack of cards. Um, the same, the actions are all the, almost all the same in, in all three games. There is the exp- exploration, which allows you to either draw world tiles and new frontiers, or in race, it allows you to just draw cards. Um, and then based on the two type of cards, there's worlds you settle or there are development cards that you play. What's really cool about race is that the cost for everything in the other games where it is may cost you a, money. Is race a deck building game? No, is it's that? it's like you're pulling it from and you have like a hand management. Okay. And what's really cool, how do you pay if this world it costs, is a four cost? You know what it costs you? Four. Four cards from your hand. Mm. And so it's really interesting about like I have all these cards I want to play, but to play this card, I've got to discard cards from my hand. And so it's really interesting because you'll, you'll in theory, from the very beginning of the game, you could play some of these stronger cards, but you'll have to deplete your hand. So you have to yeah. evaluate, is that worth it? Yeah. Um, and then how the action selection work, like I mentioned. So if, if all three of us, and the thing is you always have access to all of your actions. You essentially have a, like a deck of a hand of like seven cards, which are your actions. We all p- pick our action, put it face down, and then we all reveal at the same time. If we all chose like in three player game, three different actions, we would resolve those actions based on the cards. The cards show this is action two in order of one through six. We all do that. We all do it together. Obviously, if you chose it, you get the bonus. But if we both chose similar to like Ares Expedition or something like that, Terraformers Ares Expedition, if we so- chose the same action, we don't do that action twice. We just do the action once. But because we both chose it, we both get the bonus. And mm. so that's always the interesting part is, do I focus on just get, playing the action, which I know I need, or do I try to think about, well, if they play that action, then I can also do it, but then also play a different action so we get more out of it. Yeah, It's really interesting. And then These mechanics sound interesting. I, I, think, just you would, wish... I think you would like Raze the best at all three. It plays slightly quicker than Roll, and it also is it's a lot more simplified than Roll. Yeah. You literally just have a deck, and the only cost, like well, how do I, I pay for I played it once a long time ago. I think we need to get a, um, updated. Jacob has it with one of the expansions. And so what makes Roll different is that um, we use search for both worlds and, and development stuff from these bags. But the thing is where in Raze and New Frontiers, you can kind of build, you have a selection of things to build. In Roll, you have a stack of things you can build, but you can only build the things on the top of your stack. Um, and then also to be able to take actions and determine the strength of your action, uh, it's all based on dice, dice faces. Um, behind your screen, you organize your dice based on their symbols to make certain actions stronger. And that's where it, it kicks up a notch. And then R- Roll has a ton of expansions that expound on that. But yeah. I think as a whole, the For the Galaxy is a great, it's not, it's semi-engine building, semi-tableau building. Um, it's really an efficiency kind of a game yeah. because you can get really caught up in the really cool, it's like, wow, I got all these worlds that are producing things and I got this combo going. But the thing is the game ends immediately once someone has built like their 12th planet or slash tech development or all the points in the pool are gone. And so it's very easy to get caught up in the desire for, I want to get my engine going and all these things triggering and happening versus how can I not necessarily do everything, but how can I just do it efficiently to where I do it faster than other people? I talked with uh, Jacob and John about like, you know, what if you just made the game slightly longer, like in race instead of, 12 cards played maybe with 16 and then maybe there's some more points because i do think that's a cool aspect of the game is getting your sequential kind of actions going but it's also it's meant to be a faster type game i yeah. would really recommend and and think that uh you would probably appreciate race the most out of the three um, by the most you mean like 
one person better. I I think this, I think it's very clean. I, it, the game like uh, all well, the cards had all the text on the bottom. Like I never had to reference anything. I never had to ask questions once I started playing. Now, granted, I've yeah. played the other versions of the game, so I was inherently used to the mechanics, which are similar. But the cards were all had a very consistent template for it, so you knew where everything on these cards were. You knew how these cards worked. You know how their powers triggered. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I just can't with these games in particular more than any other set of games. They're, they're not cannot, the best. It's not the best art. I cannot get past the way they look. The not way not the best graphic design. I graphically agree. designed, and that just I cannot get emotionally invested in the gameplay because of how bad the game looks. And whenever I've played, I basically just go into like almost like bad AI robot mode where I'm just like, I really don't care what happens. I'm just kind of going through the motions waiting for this game to be over with, which is really sad. I don't ever want to play a game where I feel like that, but unfortunately with these, that's how I feel. And I think because you're playing so fast and simultaneously, almost at the same time in race, I think that's less of a distraction. Yeah. And I and I think it's very it's, the game is probably it's one of the cleaner ones. Now the one thing I don't like about race so much in the other games in Roll for the Galaxy New Frontiers, you either have access at like in Roll, I believe you start with one of the in-game scoring development tiles and you kind of build a strategy around that. And New Frontiers, you see all of them. You can purchase one midway through the game or later on in the game. In Roll, everything you get is from a deck of cards. And so the only you don't have any guarantees that you're going to get those in-game scoring cards or that the ones you do find are going to work with the things you already have. Now, obviously, if you start the game in your hand with one, that's a big plus because then you start working towards it. But you're not guaranteed that. And not so that game is you, what, you don't own Race for the Galaxy, right? Or the only one you own is New Frontiers? The only one I so own is New Frontiers. Now that you've played all of them, if you had to own one, which one would you own? I still really like New Frontiers. I really like the other ones too. I, I think it's it's a hard choice. The one thing I like about New Frontiers is there's also global objectives, which I think one of the expansions. Oh, you're, a big, you're a sim for global global objectives. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that New Front uh, that race for the galaxy, the card game, adds in some of the expansions. I think I think they're all different enough. I think New Frontiers, but of the three, is the most unique. Yeah just because of the the player boards and how it presents itself more accessible um, in the role. And I mean, they're all still unique. I mean, I would not argue against someone having all three and just like, they love the world. They love the setting. They love the, how the concept in the world of the game and like what you're trying to do, but maybe you want to just do it a little bit differently. Maybe you like that dice mitigation and, and stuff. Maybe you like just the quick deck uh, cycling evaluations, or maybe you like the kind of like 80s graphic design. Yeah, or you maybe you like that kind of bigger kind of like pl- like because when you play New Frontiers, you like you feel like you're building an ecosystem. Like you have a lot of like fun components in front of you, so maybe you like that feel. And it depends on who you're playing with too. So I honestly I could see very easy justification for owning all three in your collection. Um, but I enjoy them. I think they're great. Um, and the more I play them, the more I like them, which is something I, I think is really cool about some games because the very first game I played a role, I was like, I don't like this at all. This is non-intuitive. This doesn't conceptually make sense what we're doing. Um, but the, I definitely felt but that. But the more way. I played it, I played it probably over a dozen times for a role. I played New Frontiers a handful of times. I played Race a handful of times now. Um, and I think they're all great. And the more I play them, the more I like them. The only thing in a race is that even after two or three games, I was already seeing multiple repeat, repetitive cards come through. So I think that, especially in a race... 
some of the expansions that has more cards would be beneficial, but I haven't played any of those expansions yet. Yeah. All righty. Well, let's work our way into this week's main topic, which is the final showdown between video games and board games. Or can we find a marriage between the two? Matthew wants to find a marriage between the two. Yeah. So um, just to give you a little history lesson behind where Matthew and I, we've kind of given you a history lesson and you kind of know where we've come from, from board game side of things. But you don't really know about the video game side of things. So I'll just give you, I more or less grew up playing video games first. Um, my first favorite game ever was on the NES. Um, and that was the Ninja Turtles arcade game. I loved it. I loved it in Chuck E. Cheese. I loved it on my NES, playing with my best friends. Um, and then I got the Super Nintendo with Mario and Donkey Kong and all of the classics, playing those. Then we got the um, Nintendo 64, which brought us Super Smash Brothers. And that is like probably the most consistent game that I have played over my life. We, like literally Matthew and I were just playing Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Edition just before the podcast. I have played that game since I was a child. Matthew, on the other hand, you did not really grow up playing video games. No, I actually grew up playing, and we talked about this a long way back when, uh, more mass market board games. That's uh, vacations, uh, holidays, family get-togethers and stuff. That's what we were doing a lot. Um, so it, those kind of a games, I was until I was maybe in the early teens, preteens, then you know, got like a PlayStation 2, like one of the thick ones, not the cool slim one, one of the ones that was like a, a motor. Yeah, was going on it, and I was playing, you know, a lot of sports video games. So nothing. Yeah, nothing I never too played this. My for me, the golden age was like the Xbox 360 with Halo 3, Gears, Modern Warfare, all of those at the same time. And that was like a, at the time I was in high school, and that was like a a nightly routine was to jump on Xbox Live, like link up with my friends and play those games and just have a grand old time. Yeah. So. And so my foray into actual video gaming came in the around 2020, um, midway through 2020 when we got to the, the pandemic era because I just had more time yeah. to just by myself. Um, Jacob and I were already going at it pretty hard with Super Smash Brothers. We threw Matthew into the mix. He got beat down for a long well, this, time. This was this is well before of the pandemic, but that was when I got into like console gaming. Yeah. Um, and thankfully I jumped into just the golden era of video games. Cause I like to tout that I don't play that bad video games mainly because there's so many good ones yeah. to choose from. Um, and so my, my for, um, for rays, like I love third person open world story. Yeah. And right now we have no shortage of those. Of those. Of and so I just jumped into the world, you know, stuff like the last of us, God of war horizon, red dead redemption Two, all the uncharted games, you know, stuff like death stranding, ghost of Shima, the witcher three, all the tomb Raiders, um, and different stuff like that. I mean, so I love those types of games. Um, I recently got into a little bit of a looter shooter in division two. John and I was playing that, playing that a lot before he got married. Uh, but that, again, that's kind of a third person, semi open world type game. And yeah, so yeah. that's stuff I love. And so the, why I love those so much is, is a lot of the story and the world. Um, I know like the big craze for a lot of these video games are these kind of battle Royale type games. That a lot of people, first person shooters, 
you know, everyone in the Call of Duties and the Battlefields and the Fortnites, League of Legends and all yeah. these kind of things. Uh, I'm not really into the whole like streamer Twitch type stuff, like those kind of gaming. Yeah, I've uh, never really been little... on Twitch. I feel like that's like the generation below us at this point. Yeah, and so I've never been big onto those, but those were video games that um, I've been attracted to. And so we just kind of thought, you know, what is it that attracts us to these? And some of your favorite video games, I know you love to talk about all the time, is stuff like Skyrim. Yeah, right? so Skyrim, Oblivion, where my, those are, well, I guess you could play them either way. I play them as first-person open-world games, but yeah, that was in the golden era as well um, with Oblivion. Um, and then uh, I think Skyrim came out when I was in college, but I've dumped plenty of hours into Skyrim as well. Yeah. And then in your um, opinion, the greatest video game of all time, The Last of Us 2, yes. part two. So we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, we've got some points um, yeah, so that we're, we're going to kind of score each of them yeah. um, and try to pick a a winner, uh, more or less. And that's more or less just for fun. I mean, we are just gamers in general. Board games provide a great way to um, spend time with your friends as well as yeah. video games. They're great mediums for telling stories. But uh, we're going to give them a little score. Yeah, so. and, and I wanted to kind of think of what are some ways... Because um, most people, I feel like, who are playing, you mentioned before, playing video ga- uh, board games are probably playing video games, but it pro- likely isn't as true the other way around, right? Yeah, yeah. People who identify as video gamers aren't likely as playing board games as much. And so I just kind of wanted to look at what are ways that the board gaming industry or hobby may be able to um, do things differently or where they promote themselves or do things, not j- not change their identity, but ways they could appeal more to the video gaming market. Because uh, just in looking on the size of their markets alone, it was like I looked up here an article in like 2020, the gaming industry generated $155 billion just in revenue worldwide, which I know it's way more now after the pandemic, it all went up. Um, they're looking like in 2025, it's like $260 billion global revenue for video games as a yeah. whole. Whereas globally for board gaming and this tabletop gaming, and that includes mass market. And that's going to include most of it was seven. Which we po- wouldn't even count that as, um, yeah, as part of it was seven. Really. Yeah. 7.2 billion 2017. Um, and it's kind of gone up maybe $13 billion around 2019, 2020. So less than 10%. And especially I think compared now it's probably, you know, maybe 5% of the global sales internationally and stuff, video yeah. games versus nice board games. So there's a huge sell, discrepancy. You can sell video games digitally no shipping from china board games you can't download a board game from the internet unfortunately so our no. our board games have been downloading from china for about two and a half years now yeah so there there's huge discrepancies in the size of the market and the player base for both of these and so we kind of want to look at what are some things that may make people more appealing to one versus the other how do they compare how do they differ um so break kind of Start us off with the first kind of uh, category we have yeah. here. So the first one, and I would argue possibly the most important, at least the first one that came to my mind, is community. Yeah. Um, so for me with community, when I think of video games, I fondly remember those high school days. Um, and even before that. But I, So in high school, there was a thriving Xbox Live had more or less just launched when I was in high school. Um, and it was like the nightly routine. You put your headset on, you got, I got on my tube TV. Well, I didn't even really have a, that was before like flat screen TVs. And we just played like co-op halo, multiplayer halo, 
Gears of War, Modern Warfare, all of that kind of stuff. And there really was like the sense of community with mainly my real life friends, but occasionally I we would I would like link up and have a fairly close ongoing friendship with people that I didn't know. I remember specifically a friend and I made friends with this guy from the UK and we would like we just like met in one random uh, game in Gears of War and then every time we like became friends and then every time we got on we invited him he would jump on and it was like this really cool thing we're two high schoolers from uh from Tennessee where it could be friends like genuine friends with someone from Europe and uh so that was like a really neat aspect of it and even before the live stuff um like i remember when the Nintendo 64 came out and what was revolutionary about the Nintendo 64 was it came with not two, but four controller ports. And so that was just like party central at, yeah. at my house or whatever. And so that was when Super Smash Bros. came out, like the, like, you know, Diddy Kong Racing and all of that stuff was on there. And, um, and so like it just became this way to make friends and build community and stuff like that. Yeah. And then uh, nowadays, especially with video gaming, it's huge. Essentially, Twitch is just the, the home place for, uh, Video community, game, yeah. yeah, video game community and stuff. Um, but even stuff like Mr. Beast, he has an entire who is the biggest YouTuber uh, in the world. You technically say I think PewDiePie may have technically more subscribers, uh, but Mr. Beast, in terms of revenue generated and sheer volume of people who watch his stuff and growth, is the biggest YouTuber in the world. But he has one of the biggest like gaming channels and stuff too on um on youtube and even i'm a youth pastor at my church and so even the thing that surprised me is like a lot of my like preteens and teens and stuff they're playing a lot of like minecraft which is one thing that just never appealed to me it's like i also would ask them and i just feel so cringy when i ask them and so old man uh what are you doing in minecraft that is so compelling because i played are you winning son are you winning because i played some (laughs) minecraft and you're just going around and just kind of building things yeah yeah, so minecraft is kind of a whole kind of the compelling nature of that is something that yeah, I never, I also never got into. It's like, where's the story? Yeah. <laughs> where's the story for it and stuff. But yeah, so they have, there's huge communities um, for video games. And like you said, yeah, you can build personal kind of relationships even online. Um, and there is that for the board gaming community as well. Obviously uh, board game geek is the central hub for all things board gaming. Yeah. Um, but and what unfortunately I, board game geek is great as it is for the community still is very, old looking um, and at least but, it's been updated like i yeah. remember before the most recent update how <laughs> yeah. it was is like i was like how on earth does anyone just yeah. get around this arcade and it's like interface? i can see like someone new to the board gaming hobby it's so like, turned off fi- finding that and being like oh like this is where where board gamers meet okay well i'll go somewhere else <laughs> yeah it's, it almost has a sterile feel to it yeah like a 1990s nerdy sterile feel to it yeah, yeah um but i think what really separates board gaming community from um video game and of course this is my this is my perspective right i don't do a ton of like online gaming outside of like maybe i'll team up with some of you guys on some game video games yeah um but i feel like the board game industry uh, community is just a lot more personally connected. Uh, yeah. And what I mean by that is like I've mentioned before you go to the conventions, I can talk with publishers, I can talk with content creators, right? You yeah, can like Tom Vassell um, sat you know, down like, and we taught and taught us several games, a like game, Ark Nova. Which is 
awesome. Like, yeah. there's probably not a whole lot of people in the video game industry. It'd be the equivalent would, of like sitting down and having Ninja show you how to play Fortnite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that just does not happen. Yeah, it does not happen. He's worth, you know, millions of dollars. And yeah, and like he's never going to. And it's like you might be able to be, you know, lucky enough to randomly get put in one of his games and, you know, be on his stream. But it's like it would it would be it's a different thing entirely to like sit in a room with him and play the game together. Yeah. Which and you know, is I, probably uh, never gonna happen. Something funny, I, I was watching um I believe it may have been after because right after the Dice Tower cruise, a week later was Dice Tower West. And I remember watching the stuff and Tom and the crew were like, We're never doing this again. Cause it's the most like exhausting thing of like it's not just oh, we're done with the cruise. They've got an inventory. They've got to put things together. They've got to catch yeah. up on a week's worth of work. Put all and then, that library stuff. And in. then get it immediately ready to ship to Vegas. Yeah, right. I can't but he said, um, I think I think it was either at the Dice Tower Cruise or at Dice Tower West. He said a little, either a boy or a girl asked him and they came up to him. He's like, are you famous? <laughs> and he said, only in this room. Only in this room. <laughs> only, only like in this sphere and stuff. And so that's really cool. And like our <laughs> conversations. Tom is so great. Oh, yeah. But it's like our conversations and our physical dollars I feel like make so much more of an impact in the community than you'd see in something like video gaming right yeah if I choose not to buy a game or people choose not to buy a game from Ubisoft they don't even blink an eye they're a multi-billion dollar uh, business they could literally throw away a game they spent 50 million dollars on whereas in in board gaming you know kick a company could run a Kickstarter and they've even talked about it. You know, Jamie Stegmeyer's talked about before, like sometimes you're, you're, you're putting all of your eggs in one basket, hoping that this launch of a new game works or a campaign works, or maybe you had to take out loans or something to, to satisfy the production and fulfillment of stuff, just so you, then you could hopefully make your money on the back end. Like for a lot of people and even publishers and companies, it's personal. Now, obviously stuff like Day and some fantasy flights yeah. and stuff that have and been even Kickstarter have changed out a little yeah, bit. Yeah. That have been bought up and are a bigger conglomeration, you know, um, don't really feel that as much, but I would argue that though they are not the prominent source of the hobby. Um, as much as these other smaller publishers. Yeah. And so like your voice, your dollar makes so much more of an impact. Um, and you can communicate with like Isaac Childress. I mean, you know, I get personal emails to my phone at work with Isaac Childress, the the man behind what's the two, the biggest game board game and the next to be biggest board game in Gloomhaven, Frosthaven. He sends personal updates to his backers and talks to me. They just recently put out like their hundredth update post or from the, Frosthaven campaign. Think about that. A hundred personal updates that he's written and communicated with the community and the people and backers. Like you don't get that. Like yeah. what you get is Cyberpunk 2077 comes out and it's like, oh, oh, <laughs> we made you we, guys. <laughs> we made hundreds of million dollars. We'll fix this. And it's been, literally been almost like a year and a half later since Cyberpunk 2077 come out and they're still yeah. just doing little patches. Like the industry and, and board in video games are so big, like they have no incentive to care, right? Yeah. And that's not I mean that's, I mean, that can be just reality of the nature of how the beast. Yeah. But and the other, I think the other thing with the community, unfortunately for me, is like I rarely play um, video games online these days, and I feel like this may just be me being like a, a like an older millennial boomer type of thing. But um, I like when I think of the you know my golden age of like throwing on the headset nowadays. 
like when you go get into a room, whether it's like Call of Duty or whatever, I feel like most people don't have their headsets on and like aren't willing to communicate. And most of the time, I'm so bad at like these first person shooters now. Most of the time, the only time I get talked to is when someone is, is cussing you. me out and yeah. telling me. And that's where I hear like unspeakable like, things. And John in our group, I was he was supposed to be here tonight, but it's okay. We we love him. He's got. He's getting married, and he's well. He's married, yeah, we but gotta he has, give him a little bit of a break. Yeah, we got to give him a little bit of a break. So he's still him. putting together his house. I know we helped him. Yeah, th- Brady, thank you for helping us move in this past weekend. Yeah, I skipped. I skipped town. Yeah, for that. and we he John chose the one day in in March where it snowed four <laughs> inches yeah, of yeah. snow the night before. Um, but he'll even talk a lot about. I usually will go to him because, like, as far as these kind of big open open competitive scenes for video games, he he's been in that scene the most his brother streams on twitch for yeah, league of yeah. legends and stuff you can even watch him i think his uh, handle is no chill boom if you want to send him out a subscribe on twitch <laughs> he'll appreciate it he does i think mainly league of legends uh content um but he talks about a lot of toxicity in yeah. these games and stuff just from Which, how competitive there's, and there's, there's no personal to- investment yeah. to care about other people yeah and you don't uh there's a little bit of toxicity in board games but for the most part, if you're playing a board game and you want to be toxic, you got to be toxic to Dude. that person's face. face. Yeah. And that's huge. And, that, and you may like, be in their home. Yeah, in their home or at a convention or whatever. And so when you being face-to-face with somebody does a lot for for people's manners and and for people's just like self-respect, you know, you can't just like like rage quit uh, like a game with a bunch of strangers and stuff like that and just be like, you know, cuss, yeah. like cuss them out. So yeah, I think from the community standpoint, I think board games is much smaller community, but that community is a little more. Yeah. And things well, people's and together, voices are so. heard and I'm not going to go in too much detail. If you want more, you can look into it. But even this past weekend, the thing is all of us in our, in our centralized gaming group, we all saw it and kind of talked about it amongst each other. Um, because the thing is, the people post on board game geeks forums. It gets back to the people they're talking about. Like um, there was Quackalope, Jesse's the main guy there, and people had a thread. You know, they had some maybe differing opinions. I'm not going to go into the details of it. Um, you know, but you know that's something that he saw, and you know he took it to heart. It's like, hey, uh, what can I do to be better, or what can I do to make my channel better for you all as a content creator? And I thought that was, you know, is something both. Yeah, was it the most healthy thing for the way people may have been attacking for stuff? No, but it also kind of showed me that, you know, people care. Like, what the thing is, you're not making a killing being a content creator on YouTube or board games or even necessarily being a board game yeah, yeah. designer or publisher. Like, people do this because they care about it, right? There's not million-dollar paychecks of incentives necessarily at the, end, at the end of the day for a lot of these people. And so, like, our voices matter and, like, people – content creators publishers they listen to those things yeah, yeah. Uh, for better for worse and, and yeah and specifically with that it was like there you know a bunch of people got in a, a chat room or whatever and started dogging him but i think the whole situation just helped people see like well you may be in this chat room on this outdated website but there is a person behind that handle or whatever yeah. um, behind the username and they they're, they can read all of the yeah. stuff that and you're he, saying about and them. He, and, and he made feelings, a video and, and he know. kind of addressed the people. And, and so that's one thing I love. Like the brothers Murphs are, are fantastic at um, at user kind of integration. What I mean by that is like 
they do they play with their fans on um, tabletop simulator and they do stuff at Twitch and they are really active going to conventions and things. And so they do it because they love it. They want to be involved. I know we kind of talked about this one point a lot, so we may go through some of these others fast, but community is a huge thing. And, yeah. and, and I think that's, uh, depending on the type of sphere you're in and board and video gaming, it may be great. Cause like Twitch is huge, like the huge communities for that. But I think in board gaming, I think the personal nature of that is um, a little step up from that. All right. So that was community. All right. What's the next one? We'll next go this one is going to be story. And for the record, I'm giving community the point to board games, board game. All right. This is where I will step in. And I say that the one thing that can draws me in uh, for video games is I don't play video games just for shooting people up and stuff like that over there. There may be some cool mechanics like that in the game, but the stories, that's what I love uh, yeah. in my, in the video games that I play unique stories, stories that are compelling stories that are a movie that you play or a video, a book that's realized. Some, I remember the very first time I played through horizon zero dawn, I'm playing through forbidden West right now, but I was just floored by the story and the creativity and the immersion from it. Now, granted, I don't play um, um, role-playing games, so maybe there is an area of board game, tabletop gaming that I'm just not exposed to to have a, a fully encompassing opinion on. But at least for what we play and what we do, um, you know, we're trying to get more into the story. Yeah, we, stuff had, the, we had the legacy episode last week. Yeah, we talked about some games we want legacy for, but some games that That's we have coming, coming out more. Yeah, but a lot of stuff we backed are things that are coming into our collection from Kickstarter have a lot of a campaign story aspect to it. I yeah. know, and uh, we're playing Dragon Hole. That is basically yeah. just story. Yeah, uh, Nemesis uh, Lockdown, when it comes in, it has like a five-game ca- campaign arc yep. that's attached to it. I really, really wanted to get Tainted Grail so much because people said the story did, is so cool, like a darker twist on Arthurian legend. But the only thing that held me back was gameplay type stuff, yep. uh, mechanics in it. But I think the story, like and stuff, you can get stuff like The Last of Us, uh, even though part two wasn't my favorite, I'll still say it was a narratively is still a great game. Yeah. Like I've never said the last was two. Well, I may have said it in in uh, hyperbole, but what, watch your words carefully here. It's Matthew. still it's still a if you just looked at it as someone who wasn't invested in physically playing these characters, and you just watched it, like you would be impressed. Like this is a, just a crazy unique story. Yeah, and a lot of these games and the ones that have been very popular. You know, I mentioned like God of War, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, Death Stranding. A lot of these games have stories that are dozens of hours long, The Witcher yeah. 3, yeah, that you just can't get from a basic Euro board game. It's interesting that like board games have obviously been around for a lot longer than video games, like oh, thousands of years. Yeah. Um, it wasn't but, like one of the oldest games, like like when you look back in um, Egypt, uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics, like Backgammon or something like that, like it was one of like the oldest yeah, games they have I mean, on the record. Yeah, there's plenty of like crazy artifacts and stuff. Um, but board games have always, well, for the most part, up until like very recently, lacked like a good story. Like, I mean, chess was one of the oldest games. Really, no story going on there. It's basically an abstract game. Um, and even a game more slightly more modern, like Risk, it kind of tells a story, but not really of like different nations and stuff. You're mostly still moving pieces around on the board. Um, and so it's only been like very recently with like. Uh, like the legacy games where, you know, the story continues and something you do and the decisions you make in one game. Well, we'll say non 
fantasy specific RPG because like RP role playing games have been huge since like yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. 60s or whenever that would be when like the first edition came out from Dungeons and Dragons which I oh this was a trivia question that uh they had back at uh, PAX Unplugged was shut up and sit down I can't remember the day I think it'd been the 60s late 60s when um yeah. That first came out, so that has been a around. Reason, I think there's a reason why that. I mean, the, I think the story aspect is a reason why the like Dungeons and Dragons has been historically more popular than board games. Um, I mean, one of the questions I always get asked when I'm talking to um, like non gamers and telling them like what I do, I'm like I play board games, and they say, "Oh, like Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons," yeah. and I'm like, "Uh, n- not really." But they know, like everyone knows, what Dungeons and Dragons is, and, and was, what is the new? What are the new people? The new famous group that does Dungeons and Dragons, Matthew. You know this. Oh, I just watched their show with the Vox Machina. <laughs> um, it's a Critical Role. Critical Role. Yeah, and I've actually said that I've watched some of their stuff. They've gotten and they've gotten two, like video so, game level. Well, they're popularity. celebrity status. Yeah, they, have, yeah, so, yeah. they have. Well, in their right, they are. I mean, they're all voice actors. Like, um, I think her name is Ashley Johnson. She's the one who voices Ellie mm-hmm. on yeah. The Last of Us. Um, and so, like, them in their own right, they're, they're voice actors on so many things that you don't even realize yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. are on this. But then they bring in uh, celebrities on their show as well, like movie star level celebrities that come in that enjoy Dungeon Dragon type stuff. So um, they've really elevated to, like, the pinnacle of, like, what, like, tabletop uh, with John... Um, it's not Josh Wheaton, it's a Will Wheaton, um, was aspiring to be like they've accelerated it. Like they've millions and millions Surpassed of views. It, yeah. They have one of the, the fan, phenomenal studio that they've created. They just released Fox Machina on Amazon. Too. Those videos three, are like, four hours, six yeah. hours long. I was like, oh, I'll dabble in this. Wait, this is three hours long. Brady uh, always right. gets on to me. He's like, Matthew, time, time. How long is the episode going? I, I was like, I'm always tapping my watch. Yeah, over here. Brady, people live for long form content. Listen, I tout it. Y'all laugh yeah. at me, but I love watch listening slash watching yeah. to Joe Rogan. I'm like, interested. Podcast are two and a half hours long. I will recommend anyone listening uh, that has any interest. He, Joe Rogan recently did a podcast episode with uh, Mr. Beast, um, yeah. Mr. Jimmy. Um, and it is fantastic. Uh, the guys, he thinks he's like, 22 23 something like that at most and he just like the, single-handedly solved youtube basically it, yeah. when you li- listen or watch the podcast it really is that yeah. um to where the this this homie spent 10 to 12 hours a day non-stop analyzing every critical part like that was his job not getting paid just analyzing and sinking yeah, everything yeah. he has into it even today like when you watch the the podcast or listen to it on Joe Rogan, like there are things you learn about his business structure and how he is doing things behind the scene that you don't even know about. That is like, and Joe Rogan's like, he's like, man, that's genius. Like yeah. Joe Rogan <laughs> is amazed by what this kid is doing and like his creativity and even his parts. Jimmy's like, yeah, Joe, I don't know why you're not doing this. This is a great way to optimize your revenue yeah, yeah, and your yeah. outreach and stuff. And, and Joe, and, and so it's just a crazy thing to watch. Um, I don't know how I got onto that. <laughs> Video games, video Mr. games, Beast, Mr. Beast. Long form yeah, but long form content. Uh, but people love it. But apparently, yeah. let us know in the Discord or on start Graham doing three hour, whatever. three hour episodes. We, so we try to keep our. This is a side note. We try to keep our episode around an hour and fifteen minutes. And I'm not a super stickler as long as it's around that. But we have had a couple episodes, and in fact, our most popular episode is our longest one. Is the longest one. I think it was like almost two and a half two hours. And a half hours. So if you prefer long term, long. Form. form content let us know about it we'll, yeah we'll extend these episodes a little bit more but i can yeah. already tell this one's gonna be longer yeah but story i think is something that 
depending on what medium you like in board game, just has not even gotten close to the the awe and the beauty that video games that are that are meant to do this yeah. uh, do it. Like uh, Jacob and I played some of uh, it takes two. Uh, he finished playing it with someone else, but it was it's it's a cooperative story game. Like uh, we I don't know if you played it, but we played a game What Remains of Edith Finch, which is like a two three hour game. I, think I watched a little bit of that. Um, but you essentially as a first person, and you're this this woman who goes to kind of her family's like home that no one lives at anymore, and you're going through these rooms and you're remembering your past and your history and these people's lives that lived here in the past and and their struggles and their hurts, and it's just a narrative story that is just emotionally heart-wrenching and compelling yeah, yeah, yeah. all the way through, and it's a short little say, encapsulation. like, you know, you, I love The Last of Us. It's hard to say what my, like, favorite video game ever is just because... Like, I put so many hours into the Elder Scrolls. I put so many hours into Super Smash. But from a story perspective, uh, The Last of Us, and bo- both of them, uh, just, like, moved me like a video game. And, like, like books and movies have never moved me. Oh, Joel and, and Ellie's relationship, I think, in the way that they did that is yeah. the most compelling thing. Like, you can go behind the scenes on youtube and watch because what they did in in the last of us the first one which they hadn't really done before and it kind of revolutionized what not revolutionized what they were doing at naughty dog was they essentially were doing like they do in like if you watch the behind the scenes of lord of the rings with Gollum with andy circus they had mo yeah, motion, motion capture that's suits becoming more on, and more popular but they were kind of do that back in like 2012 uh, 11 or 10 which they weren't really doing before in video games and so they literally had the actors the voice actors which are actors as well literally in just a square room with these kind of embarrassing suits on with beads acting yeah. out the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see these YouTube videos. And it in makes the such a difference. Yeah, you see the actors and then you see um the video game, what it actually ended up looking like in a small little corner. And it is emotionally compelling yeah. in a way that like why why is it making me feel like this? So I can't um, I don't want to admit this, but I will for the podcast. I ugly cried multiple times playing through The Last of Us Part Two. Yeah. It was just and yeah, probably towards the end of the original Last of Us. I will say this. I've never cried playing a board game. The story <laughs> has never moved me. You, Brady, you've cried playing board games, just not because of the story. Well, I have cried out. <laughs> cried, out. cried out playing board games. I have never... A physical tear never left yeah, your eye. A physical yeah. tear never left my so, eye. So I don't even think it's close. Yeah. Um, the story definitely... But we're getting there, and I'm liking that. Again, Pandemic yeah. Legacy Season 1, one of my favorite board games, and that is... I mean, I would never say the regular yeah. pandemic it, is my favorite, so for, it is only because of the story. Yeah, and if we're looking at ways that the board game industry can attract uh, people more traditionally that lean toward video games, I think story and how that's incorporated into games in a, this is not negative at all, but in a non-role-playing game fashion. Because one thing that we may talk about later, uh, which we can kind of talk about right now, I think, let's go to, is kind of, is we have one for ease of player accessibility. Is one, yeah. um, let's talk about accessibility because I've mentioned this before about what can be a barrier to board games and that's in a video game, especially like I remember back in the day with the Game Boy Advance, those little games, the game cartridges came in like a box and actually came with a manual. Like I remember like when they stopped yeah, making yeah. manuals in your little Game Boys and like there was a tutorial in a video games and there's physical barriers that you physically can't walk through or you physically can't do or mm-hmm. they instruct you. And yeah. so you and know, like, like in Halo, I remember... 
you would start and, you know, Master Chief's suit was booting up or whatever. And so in the video game, the, you know, there'd be a sergeant in front of you and they'd say, hey, look up to this target. And you'd push your little joystick up, look down to this target, walk forward. And it was like instructing you in the game how to play the game. I watched like an hour and a half uh, lecture. I think it's GDC 2017 or 2018. It's like Game Developers Conference or Convention, I believe is what it's called. Um, but it was literally a guy t- up there talking about how do you do you get teach someone to play a game that is that is zero, assuming zero percent familiar with your game, has no reference manual, and get them quickly integrated in knowing the rules of your game and how do you do that video game wise? And it was really interesting the thought and concepts behind it. But you're listening to this and like as a board gamer, I was like, there's there's no way that this could in my mind ever physically be done. Uh, for a board game obviously we have like you can watch videos to learn a game yeah or and that's kind of become the like a new industry standards like even a lot thing, of way waking yeah. realms games on the rule book in the corners like qr code scan this or go to this link to watch a how to play video yeah that they in-house do so i think they're doing moving forward to it, it but just like be so hard to read text and i remember but like that game of paris i'm sorry i'd cut you off but like that game go. of paris we played on the the cruise is a perfect example of this very simple we got game. very simple game but we got Seven, ten minutes into it, it's like, hey, something's not quite right. Reference rulebook, oh, wait, let's we have to change this up a little bit. Got yeah. another 15 minutes, and it's like, no, we got to completely restart this because there's no there's no physical, invisible barriers that's keeping yeah. us inside of the boundaries other than what we can just – there's yeah. infinite possibilities you can't really, to go wrong. There are people who very much – very specialize in breaking the rules in video games, but your average person, like those speedrunners and stuff, but the average people cannot – really break the rules of a video game like you no without a glitch yeah with glitch and so a well-developed game really cuts down on those and so you you might be really bad at the game but at least you're able to play it and you know you're playing it the way it's correctly yeah. theoretically correctly yeah right and so but in a in a board game there's infinite ways to mess up or things to go yeah, wrong yeah. um and that's also to me some of the fun challenges like Learning rules, teaching rules is such an art, but it's a huge hindrance. Because yeah. even this past uh, weekend, I was with um, friends, um, Ethan uh, and them. Um, you know him. You, y'all work together there for a time at Chick-fil-A. Um, but I've never actually sat down and play um, dominoes. I know the general concept of it, but I don't like – if you ask me, Matthew, teach me dominoes, the 100% rules, how it's supposed to be played. I couldn't yeah. do it, right? It's like one of those games that – People play differently. Yeah. But we sat down and he sat down. I was like, hey, Domino's like, hey, something quick, easy, sure, let's play, right? Um, and so uh, they sat down and started teaching. They started teaching. And I was like, and I started asking questions. You know me. I started asking questions about it after they, you know, they very basic instruction how to play. But what, it, what was, What's the average score for this game? What's yeah. the ratio between all of the dominoes? Yeah, all of those questions. No, just very simple questions like, how do these type of pieces fit together in this situation? And as soon as I, I would ask these like outside the box questions, like their head turned a little sideways and like, Hmm, I don't know. I haven't actually read the rule book. I don't know if we're actually playing <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, even among stuff like that, like understanding and having rules down to a science to where this is, these are the four walls. This game has to exist in. It's very hard to yeah. do, especially in more kind of mass market type games. Yeah. So let's move from accessibility. I think with accessibility, um, it's clearly for, uh, in video games, is video what, games. if you're tallying points. Yeah. Uh, so let's move from accessibility to popularity. They're very closely related. But obviously, video games have this like massive... 
popularity. I mean, people watch these streamers and it's like, it's like the equivalent of like a state or a city's population watching, you know, a particular streamer stream a video game. Like yeah. it, I, I could not imagine being in that position. I know we, we host a podcast and definitely don't have those numbers, but knowing that like an entire stadium or city's worth of people are watching you play a video Live. game. That is crazy. Live. It's not yeah. like over a couple months you got a, you know, a couple a thousand views. views. Yeah. yeah. It's like they are actively watching me right now. Yeah. yeah. But it is interesting when you talk about popularity, obviously what comes with popularity are fads or what is in, what's out, what's the cool thing. And, yeah. you know, the one thing they kind of measure a lot for a lot of these kind of like live service games or like something like Battlefield. What is it? Battlefield 24. 47 2044 or something like that the newest battlefield that came out that was a huge dud and flop they measure people that are actually playing like you can look at steam uh, which is kind of a, a store kind of um, app that allows you to buy the download these games onto your pc and play them and then keep track of like how many people are playing and stuff but you can see these games that are in fat or in style or or the games that are that are not yeah. uh, you can see how hot and you can even how hot or not these games are and how many people are actively playing them are they thriving are they still in the zeitgeist and you can even see the same thing on like um the board game bgg kind of hotness list yeah, yeah, yeah you can literally see like there may be a game that comes out on kickstarter that just announced they jumped to the number one on the hotness list but like within two days they're gone because no one yeah, really yeah. cared about it or you can see where a game you know finally came out to the backers everyone's been really excited but they finally released to the backers or uh, the general public, and then within a month or two, no one's talking about the game. Yeah. Nothing. But yet, like, stuff like Gloomhaven and Wingspan have been on the BGG hotness list for the past, like, three, four years. Yeah. Never left it. And um, and I just, with the, like, with those games, yeah, they can come in and out, and, like, people can be just so hyping up one game, and then a year later, yeah, like you said, like, no one is talking about it. It really wasn't a great game. People were just, you know, excited about it. Yeah, things. I remember, like, when Truvon Legends, and you're like, Truvon Legends, what's that? Exactly my point. Yeah. Uh, Truvon Legends was is a game from Simon that came out, had Eric Lane's name attached to it, um, had some different kind of card-sleeving mechanics, and, the, and, like, a board that had, sl- like, slots where you could sleeve cards to change the world and stuff, uh, Vikings and more realistic kind of Viking Norse mythology type stuff. People are so hyped about for more it. More realistic. Well, more grounded to like traditional like lore, myth- lore okay. right? Um, and they have miniatures and monsters and stuff. But when this game finally came around to releasing and stuff, like no one cares about it. No one talks about it. Like there was so much huge buzz and just people losing their minds for like this looks so cool and next level and stuff on Kickstarter. And you know they had a lot of popularity, but then it just dies away. So yeah. I think in that regard, there's a lot of similarity. But if you're looking about the global mass appeal. Um, it's not even, yeah. It's not even close. Like now, no I, one is playing video, playing board games, streaming them in a bathtub. You know, that just doesn't happen. Whereas that happens all the time on Twitch. With uh, really, did you remember? There was a big article that came out about like Twitch, like user license agreements and stuff. Like what these women would do is like, if you follow me on Twitch while I'm playing Call of Duty, and you sub to me or you give me subscriptions, I'll write your name on my arm. All right, your name on my yeah, leg. A lot and a bunch of ways of, to monetize well, it. Yeah, a lot of crazy stuff. And like and like people were complaining, like these are clear violations of our like like licensing or the the rights of like viewer stuff. And so like because they were making so much money and they were so big that like Twitch made like this separate like adult category for video game oh. switching stuff. Like there's like crazy out of your mind stuff you'd never expect. I'd pay to watch uh Tom Vassell play a, a board game in a bathtub. 
if he would write my name on his arm. Yeah. That'd be great. Anyways. So board games are not quite that. Because when you but see people start selling this. their bodies for monetization, you know it's getting popular. One interesting thing where board games do dominate is on Kickstarter. So on Kickstarter, it, if you look at the numbers... Oh, it is it, the largest. Yeah, so board games like single-handedly almost like prop up Kickstarter. It, yeah, I mean, it owns. And what's so and hilarious it, is it's not ever promoted on the main thing. Like, I can go to Kickstarter right now. Let's see here. When you type in Kickstarter, the, like you have to search for it. What's so silly is like, I don't know that Kickstarter wants like to be a, a social category. Yeah, yeah. But it's so funny. And and so now it, there's like a whole new thing that has spun off from that, yeah. which is like uh, GameFound. GameFound. Which is essentially the same concept as Kickstarter, but is for board games. It's not as big yet because obviously the name. But like what's so funny is that I type, I, excuse me, I go on a Kickstarter. It has a recommended for me. There's some video. There's some board games, obviously, because I have my account on there. But like the feature projects and the things on their main page don't have anything to do with board games. Yeah. Ever. Uh, there's a taking off page, but like, and then you go under like their categories. They have arts, comics, illustrations, design, tech, film, food, craft, games. Here, way off to the right. And when you click on games, then they still bring up like video games and other stuff like that. But when you look at the numbers, and a lot of people might not know this. It's like 95% board games. So there's like... Millions and millions of dollars yeah. per project. So And it's like if you look at their entire budget, board games make up like close to 60 to 80% of, of like their, their entire uh, budget. Um, and so I think board games are getting a lot more popular. I do still... Like everyone plays video games, and if you don't, you know somebody who does, and it's just so easy to start up a conversation about video games and what's coming out. Like Elden Ring just came out, and it was like everyone was talking about it. Um, yeah, here's the here's so here's an official statistics that came out at the end of 2021 December that amount of funding pledged for projects on Kickstarter by project category. These numbers are in the millions of U.S. dollars. Games were at the very top, and one thousand seven hundred ninety million dollars. So that's like one point seven billion dollars yeah. on Kickstarter came all just from board games. And the next one is design, which I'm sure there's some overlap. But like once you get out of the top, and technology was third. But once you get out of that, it's like it's in the hundreds versus the thousands. Yeah. yeah so games, board games specifically, own. Kickstarter, which is crazy because they never advertise themselves. Look at us. We are the board game funding site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're always like, look at tech or new venture capital things or stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's always, it still breaks my heart a little bit when like someone knows that I like board games and they're like, oh, what's your favorite game? And I just like, I know that I'm going to say like anything in my top 10 and they're going to have no idea. No what idea. It is. Where if I said, like, if I say Skyrim or Fortnite. Or Fortnite, like like most eighty year old women know no. what Fortnite is because they bought little toys for their grandkids and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So I think in some ways popularity and how popularity affects the the genre are the same, but in sheer just uh, mass market general appeal, um, video games Probably is clear. Be, yeah, video clear games. winner. All right. So the next one I kind of want to talk about is competition. And when you talk about competition, are you talking about like player versus player competition? Uh, well, sorry, I'm talking about. I guess I'm talking about like, pr like grand competition within the like market tournaments. Oh, like okay. Prize winning things like this is something that like video games now 
have just esports. Esports. LeBron have, James Jr. is sponsored on his own esports team. That's how crazy it is. Is he really? Yes. Yeah. So there are there are people, the guys in the NBA and NFL, who are on like their own like esports league teams and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. So we have now like e athletes at this point, which is just debatable in itself. Sorry if I offend anybody. Did you that. do you remember a couple of years ago? It may not have been that long about this. Like 15, 16 year old kid who won a Fortnite tournament and he got like over a million dollars. Yeah, which is so board games has like literally nothing like that. And we barely so there is have, the world championship of board games. Which just came out. Like, First about several years now. I think no, it's gonna no. be in Vegas. That was you're talking about the new one? The like the new like I don't even know when it is. The most like the what it is now, like the one I showed you, like it's gonna be in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. That that is the world series of board gamings. It's been around. It's just maybe advertising and promote itself a little bit different now. Yeah. So, so I guess, yeah, they've just started like enough marketing to get to us and we're pretty deep in the sauce. Um, and so, and especially, and that is a, a collection of board games. Like they're going to play certain games. Yeah. Like, and you, you know, going into each round, you might not know, or it's like, it's not a specific game. Like, yeah, the way they have it set up is you're just you're you have to prepare for all these games because yeah, you don't know exactly what you're going to be. And it's set like up imagine with. the video game industry setting up a game where you play Fortnite for one round, and then to progress into the next round, you got to play like uh, what like a non-shooter game. Yeah, or, or it, it, they would all be shooter games. Those are the biggest ones in the world: the shooter, looter games, or battle royale type games but i do think that'd actually be pretty cool for well them i mean at. there's like a like age of empires so they just had a huge tournament for age of empires yeah but those are kind of like tactical strategy games yeah i know but there's still there's esports surrounding it and so it's yeah. like can you imagine i do going think- okay this round you play call of duty next round you play age of empires like the crossover people would just be like and the next one round you play Super Smash Brothers. I think Brady, what you're talking about right now would be absolutely epic. Who is <laughs> no? Who is literally the greatest the video gamer on earth? The Omni gamer. The Omni gamer. Um, but really, we have nothing even close to the scale uh, of that in the video or in the board game world. And I just, I really wish we did. Even in like our, like our local things. One thing I really enjoyed was playing X Wing in tournaments and stuff and that was a lot of fun um but and it really that may that, be the most tournament style like tabletop gaming thing we have like outside of war gaming well we also have like magic the gathering the mag- that's the true one. i always and, forget that i mean is that still i don't know how popular that still is i mean uh, oh no well magic magic is still super popular and they do have kind of esport level like tournaments and prizes for that like they're like in tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars for like yeah. their the prize pools and stuff like that. So they do have that again. Magic is still, it's so big. And so it's own thing that it's sort of like dungeons and dragons where it's kind of almost like in a separate category. Yeah. So listen, until we're like, I believe it was League of legends that at one of their like tournament game awards stuff, they had like a holographic um, augmented reality, like dragon coming from the sky do you remember this? No, I didn't see this. Yeah, it was, they, they were in a huge big stadium and they had like this augmented ra- augmented reality dragon or something like that coming from the sky and moving around in the stands. Yeah, that's crazy. Like until we get to that point with board games. But it is know. funny how much people expect it. It um They thought like when we were on the cruise, uh people were yeah. asking us, Are you here for a comp- t- tournament or something yeah, there like were, that? So there were there were normal people on the cruise. They would talk to us and be like, Oh, what are you guys doing? And 
one of the very first questions they would ask us is, oh, is it a competition? And it's just, like, it's so funny, yeah. funny that people would go to that. Um, and I guess the assumption is that just no one would do this for fun, right? Like you have to be getting paid to go on a board or, game. Or cruise. trying to win something. Yeah, or trying to win something, which is, is kind of funny. Because I'm like, well, why are you here? Is is there a sunbathing competition? <laughs> you should have said that. <laughs> it's, it's just so funny to me. Um, yeah. But anyways, yeah. So competition, unfortunately, is also going to video games. Brady, you're putting a lot more checks on the video game side than you thought you were going to be doing. I know. I, I, thought just, this I can see how uncomfortable it's making yeah. you. <laughs> um, All right. What's up next? So next is, let's just, this is going to be our last one. And it's going to be replayability. Um, and so you can talk about this because you have played a lot more games recently than a I lot. have. Video games. Yeah, a lot. Um, than I have. Do you, like? How do you feel about the replayability of video games? Now? I was actually thinking about this the other day. Um, I was going through Horizon Forbidden West. And I am getting to the point where I realized, because when I first started, I was like, maybe I'll go back and replay these. Um, whereas a book, I've reread books, I re I rewatched movies, shows, but the thing is there, we kind of a subcategory is like time investment cost into completing from point A to point B, completing a game is huge. It can be 20 hours, 40, 80, it can be 120 hours, uh, to complete the full narrative story of this campaign in a video game. Uh, and I'm going to realize itself that, you know, I don't know that I had the time or desire to re-put another 60 hours just to replay the same thing that I already did. Yeah. So what I've been doing is like, well, if I'm going to play through it once, I want to make sure I'm getting all of it out. Because some people just skip a lot of side quests or other open world activities and just go straight through the main campaign. I purposely take the time to try to do all that in-world stuff before. Because I found myself, once I complete the game, I don't have a burning desire to yeah, replay yeah. the once game. Once you've beat the main quest. Maybe if there's like, like yeah. a DLC. That's different. But like go back and maybe do all that other stuff. There's just not that desire or to start from literally scratch to start all over in the game and then replay it. I've tried that a couple times in what they call a new game plus mode, where it's essentially you keep all of your in-game loot and gear and all that stuff, but you start the game over again, yeah, yeah. which is a really cool concept, but now it's a harder difficulty. I tried that. tried that. I still wasn't getting too into it because I knew everything that was about to happen. And whereas yeah. a because they are so story driven. Yeah, and whereas, but it also mechanically too in the combat, and that that's part of it. But whereas in a movie, I can just sit back and kind of turn my mind off and enjoy it. In video game, for me to replay it, it's another forty hours of like attention and grinding yeah. and getting all this stuff, and and so yeah, there aren't. There's just for me replayability for a campaign story driven game. Now, like something like the Division, I have like my meter for that says like five days. That I have a t- like game t- time in the game. Okay, it measures my time in days of how much time I spent in the game. Like video game days, or no, like in real world game real, days. And you've spent five days already. Wow. That's what it says. I don't know how accurate that is. Um, I mean, we've been John but, and I have been playing for several months, but those kind of games that don't have a you're playing like weekly updates and stuff like that. Yeah, you're not or playing a, a storied mission like Super Smash Brothers, which we play very regularly over and over and over yeah. again. And so for. For me, for the video games that I typically play, I'm not getting replayability out of it, which is interesting because it makes me appreciate the game more as I'm playing through and making sure I want to 
get all that out of it. Now, well, I know, don't know the, what you got till it's gone. I know. It really, but I think <laughs> for the mass market, I mean, most people are playing these like battle royale type stuff, League of Legends, and they're just um, playing the same stuff over and over and over again. John knows all about that. Yeah. Yeah. There, I, I don't play replay too many video games over. I did play through The Last of Us Part Two twice, and I absolutely loved it. Like, I almost feel like I got more out of the second play. Um, with just like the nuances of the characters, knowing what's going to happen. I feel like you got to know the characters a little bit more, their motivations. Yeah. So I, I loved my second play, but I like have not gone back to play it too much more again. I did yeah. play the permadeath thing a couple of times. And if you die once, you have to start the entire game over. You have to over. start the entire game over. And I tell you what. That's insane. You haven't lived until you you play you that fear everything. The last of us. Yeah, I listen, remember. Listen, was, I've recommended you playing the. Um, um, what was the, what's the game? Um, with you're on motorcycles with the zombies. Oh, I can't remember. It's like days, days gone. gone. Days gone. Days gone. Yeah, I played through that one. That's another one I really enjoyed. But there's a horde mode. Well, not a horde mode, but there are hordes in the game. Essentially, it's it's zombies, but they measure in the hundreds. Okay. And they're like feral animals. And it's like if one of them sees you, you have 300 zombies that are full speed bearing down you. It's the most <laughs> ad- heart racing adrenaline thing <laughs> that when you see a horde, your heart stops. Yeah. It's like, I'm about, the thing is, once a horde starts coming after you, you can't put down the controller or breathe or blink for the next 10 minutes because <laughs> yeah. you're running backwards, shooting, throwing Molotov cocktails and grenades <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and machine guns and shotguns. It's like, it's the most adrenaline pumping thing. Um, Sorry, it's a side tangent, but same thing with the permadeath thing. It's like yeah. every encounter, and you have is to like rally. Like edge. you're like, the zombies just hit me three times. My screen's going red, and if I lose this, I'm dead I forever. just wasted the last two hours. And so I'm like, <laughs> no, this is not happening right now. I got to rally. I got to run away. I got to yeah, get myself together here and kill this one stinking zombie. And like that happened multiple times. And I'm like, and you just your heart two hours is just in racing. Yeah. Oh, my word. Like, I've literally played this game for, because I think to get out through all the game, it's over 20 hours. Um, yeah, and so right you play for five hours and then you just get bit by a zombie that came up. I did watch. It. There was, I thought this was going to be impossible, but of course. Oh, people, no. People in the video. The, I did watch one person who. Was he who, kind of speed running it, though? It, he, who beat it. I mean, he was pulling out everything he possibly could to be in the game. But isn't it on, like, the hardest difficulty, too? Yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah, you, yeah. I, I, I did. They just did not think it was going to be possible. There were several levels, side note, that I played on the hardest difficulty. And I I played my second round on the hardest difficulty with, like, the grounded and all of that stuff. And there were levels that I played probably 30 or 40 times before I before I beat it. Like, spent... The one that we both... Yeah, like, about on right my now. original... Uh, no, actually, that one went fairly quickly because I, like, really prepared for it. But... Anyways, um, but uh, as far as replayability goes, I will say I just have a hard time investing in new open world games, but one game that just repeatedly calls me back, I feel like Jack Shepard on who just got off the island. He's I'm like, lost. are they really off the island though? Yeah, and he's like, dun, hey, dun, dun, the dun. island's calling us back. I feel like that with Skyrim. And when I we, Brady, you got to you got to get off your Skyrim platform. No, here. I spent so much time in there. Like I know the characters, and we, we play a lot of games. We have the Melodice going, and almost every fantasy based game has 
the Skyrim song. And I'm telling you, it makes me just hearing the music makes me want to like come home from wherever we are and boot that game up again and just start another. You realize character. how old that game is, and if you went back and played it now, it I know, and you know, I still do play it, and you don't appreciate it because you play all these modern, beautiful games. Um, but they will come out with one eventually. Um, please, Bethesda. <laughs> please, I need it. Weren't they just bought up by Microsoft? They were. Yeah. So hopefully they get a little more funding to put into it. And oh they don't just word. release the 15th new anniversary edition of uh, it's Skyrim, which they just did. I don't uh, play Grand Theft Auto, but it's the same thing. They keep re-releasing all these like 15-year-old yeah. version of Grand Theft Auto before they do a new one. But for me, replayability, the games we love that we talk about a lot that are at the top of the list have high or infinite replayability because game setup is different every time. For board games. Yeah, for board games. I've never played a video game um, through twice, Yeah. Um, and regardless of the type it is. And it's like you want to go about it different ways, explore different mechanics. Um, I feel like for the most part with, like with Skyrim... I wanted to explore the story in a different way. So I was a mage in this playthrough. I want to play through it again, but be a fighter. But you're still experiencing the same story, um, and you can't really ex- necessarily explore different mechanics too much. Um, but with with board games, they are much more like things like Super Smash Bros., where we, we can just yeah. play them forever and ever and ever. Yeah. And we have so many board games that it's like, we by the time you cycle back through, not yeah, you, have time. When you cycle back through a game, like we could do a rotation. We cycle back through. It's like okay, like this game's fresh again. Like that's yeah. and which is which is nice. Um, so, but I also see for some people though, with the type of games they play, a lot of those shooters and like that's infinite replayability for battle royales or infinite replayability too. Yeah. The last thing I was just going to mention too is cost. Um, board games are ever more getting very very expensive. Uh, just like that the, is, new, the MSRP true. for uh, for Frosthaven. Did you know how much it is now? The MSRP for Frosthaven now, if you weren't on the Kickstarter, is going to be $250 retail for this game. That's true, but you're pretty deep in the sauce at that point. And I can count on one hand how many times I've paid over $50 for a video game. Yeah, but you do not need really any sort of platform to play a board game on other than a table. Yeah. But I don't need... A cons like a five hundred dollar PlayStation Five or whatever, or a, a two thousand dollar gaming PC or however much those cost. Those can cost a ton of money. Well, you, and things you do have resale value with board games, though you can sell them. Yeah. You well, you it. can. You used to be able to do that with, with video games until they went to the digital stuff a lot. Um, but yeah, like the, the PlayStation Store and with um, like I have an Xbox and they have Xbox Game Pass. Game Pass is like. The best deal ever. You get access to so many great games, and Microsoft is just like putting, like, it's not holding back with this. They're like putting, gr- like, brand amazing- new, like the new Halo game was on yes. Game Game Pass. Yeah, which I know PlayStation so that, is supposed to be roll, rolling out their own version of that soon. So yeah. that will help a lot on even more so on the cost uh, yeah. for it. But yeah, I mean, even for me. Like I just I don't know if I mentioned it I on last week's podcast already, but I like I backed Unsettled. Um, it was over two hundred dollars for the all in on Unsettled, and that's not even including shipping or anything. Um, all right, cost I'm putting in both of them. So right now we have board uh, games up, with three upfront points. Cost for video games is more upfront if you're including consoles, headset, controllers, TV. Yeah, I mean you need TV. 
Yeah, but the thing um, is, some people with video for board games, they have like a rotating collection. Like they get a board game, play it for so long, sell it, and then get their new yeah. next one. And some people buy a board game, don't play it, and then sell it. Right, David? Yeah, like, I think our friend David does that pretty yeah, often. You just buy it. <laughs> Don't play it. So David did send us a little correction. He did. He did unbox. I think maybe play one thing of of, of merchants. Uh, merchants the, of the dark road. Mer- merchants of the dark road. He at least yeah, I think yeah. he played one. Little asterisk. No, no. He said he played one. it on tabletop simulator. Oh, That's what he did. That's okay. how his caveat. Nope, he played nope, it on tabletop nope, nope. simulator. Doesn't count. Yeah. All right, but all right. So I want to get to this. Just a little bit of a tough question. If you had to sacrifice, ritually sacrifice, either your all of your video game content or all of your board game content and just say i pledge to never play the other ever again which one would you choose see that's that is where the conversation about replayability because i could completely get rid of delete all my video game library on my playstation stuff but thing is i had no desire to go back and play those anyways so it'd be a whole lot easier to click delete on those versus my board games, which a lot of my board games I've upgraded, I've deluxified, and and they have like emotional attachments to them and stuff and investments. Yeah. Um, and I think the biggest things we always talk about is when I play board games, it's always with friends. Friends. Um, and outside of a few exceptions, most time playing video games is just either personal, by yourself, by yourself. Yeah. And so it's which question, is funny. I you know we were doing story and I didn't bring this up. So just before you answer that. It's funny to me that I would, and I make fun of like solo gaming all the time. And I, if I bring out a solo game, I'm not going to lie, I feel like a loser with the board games. But I have no problem playing through like a store, like a game by myself in a video game version. Yeah, like that what, to what, me is legit. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know what the reason for that is. Um, but I think it's just that board games have always traditionally been. In person, with I feel people. like I feel like when if I'm playing a board game, so it's like when I'm at the table, I'm like, come on, guys, let's sit around the table and play a game. Like when we're at Christmas, yeah. everyone's getting a cookie or getting some coffee or talking to someone else, and I'm just sitting at the table waiting for them all to come join me. Yeah, that's and what the feeling it, I get. You draw draw the little smiley faces on your fingers like SpongeBob, and you're like, the gang's all here. <laughs> <laughs> me, myself, and I and uh, we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so you so, say. Yeah, I but obviously this is, you know, a little bit of a silly hyperbolic question because we're not forced no. to have to be in that reality. Definitive. Um, so, but if I had to choose one where I prioritize time or investment with, it would be board gaming. Um, You're dang right. This is a board is. gaming podcast. <laughs> I'm going to stay true to my colors. But it is a question. What can board gaming, gaming do to appeal to that $200 plus billion market industry of of other gamers and it's a little bit of a question i don't want an answer to because i think one of the things i always talk about why i love the industry so much is how personal it is but the larger the growth in size the less that is and so could our attempt to grow the hobby and spread the hobby also be causing what we love about it to go away and we are seeing a little bit of overlap um in recent years with app integration that does help like the lord of the rings journeys of middle earth game the barrier to entry to that game was so low because you were kind of all the enemies were on that screen, all of the like buttons and mechanisms and everything were on that screen. And so, you know, when you're, you're talking about barriers, it was, it was hard to break the rules in that game because that screen was kind of Reminding telling you, you exactly the, what to do. The biggest things, barrier entry, story, and IP. Like yeah. the, I can't, oh, 
I mean, I don't know why I'm forgetting this. The the publishers stuff who are doing all like the haunted mansion and the horrified games and all those kind of to target exclusive type board yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. They are really focusing on that barrier to entry being low, an IP and a story that people can be Familiar accessible, yeah, yeah, accessible and stuff, and using that as kind of a gateway. To say, okay, what other games can do stuff like this? Um, and so I think that is the biggest area and story. Um, is huge and because people are not as much as we love the good doctor we love babylonia people are not lining up in front of gamestop to play a reiner <laughs> yeah, Knizia yeah. game i'm yeah, sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. no one no one's you know they're missing out they don't know what they're yeah, missing no out one's on, missing but. their their first child's birth so they can get the the midnight dropping of the new babylonia yeah you know or a race just, for the galaxy race for the galaxy like that's not happening right all um, right but i think they're I'm excited to see what kind of growth can happen in the board game sphere um, by trying to uh, focus on those kind of categories we mentioned. Um, but right. I wouldn't trade it for the world. So we are going to keep Brady, moving. What was with your our... official pick? What was your official? Pick? Oh, board games, of course. Of course. What? Nothing. Yeah, I haven't booted up. I actually j- did just download a game on my PlayStation. What'd you What'd you download? I downloaded Disco Elysium, which Brady. Is this a dancing game? It is not a dancing game. The name, I don't know what the name of it is, but it's actually, um, like, anyone who's familiar with that game, um, I still haven't played it, obviously, but um, it's very much along the same lines as, like, Legacy of Dragon Hall. Okay. So it's like a choose-your-own-adventure, but you, um, you play as a detective, and so you are kind of going around the city interrogating people and you mm-hmm. get different skills, sort of like in Dragon Hall, where you can lie lie better or intimidate better um, and things like that. I It's got a very interesting art style to it. Um, you, yeah, you should look it up when you get home. Oh, that's but, another thing we didn't mention, art style and graphic design. Uh, as much as you know, we talk about we loving these kind of Euro games with this very um, old school type styles like Artwork matters. Like, I know as much as we give you a hard time about just, like, living or dying by the artwork, whether or not you like a game. Well, you're like, that makes a difference. People the, buy with their eyes. They do. I buy with my eyes. That's why I love Arnak so much, and you guys trash it all the time. Yep, and so I think that's huge. If people see these three very stoic-looking men with cowboy hats on their heads, <laughs> no one's going <laughs> to yeah. be too excited about that. All right, well, we are going to try to squeeze in this little game. Oh, that I have Brady, you know how much I love games. That I've designed for Matthew here, so... I told Matthew, and I gave us both each little cards to write board games. Just I, I just literally just any board game that popped on my mind. There was no criteria. I just wrote board games down on paper. Okay. Well, I tried to give you a little instruction, so we'll see how it goes. But what we're going to be doing is we're going to be drawing. And so we we both wrote down this, and we put them in a combined pile over here. So we're going to take turns. Um, we're going to do this five times, but we are going to draw. Uh, I'm going to draw four, uh, basically, games from this list, and then we're going to do an I Split, You Choose style draft. So Ooh. I'm going to draw four. I'm going to split them up. Um, but and then, so it could be one and three, two and two? No, no, no. It's just two and two. So, but you get to determine which two go with what. Yep. And oh. and then whoever has, we're going to have a list, obviously. And think of this as like, your I love 10 these. by 10 list yeah. for the rest of the year. Like, you got to play these 10 games for the rest of the year. I love the I Split You Choose mechanic. Yes. Um, That's a great think, mechanic. What board? Oh, you should have told me this beforehand, Brady, so I could have been prepared. I always say, Brady, let me be prepared on the podcast. Nope. 
Um, we did play a game recently. What game has had the eye split you choose? Uh, I really cannot think of it. If we can think it of it, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. let you know in the Discord or we'll talk about it next week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that's, something that's popping in my mind about there was an eye split you choose kind of mechanic we did with something. All, All right, right, but, but so, so essentially what, we're going to see who can create, strategically create the most popular list that we'll yeah. have people vote on. Okay, I'm ready for it. All right, so I've got, oh boy. What four do we have? The Grim Forest, Blitzkrieg, and Archipelago, and Royals. Here we go. Wow, that is a <laughs> group. So you're oh, going to make man. two different groups of two. Yep. Shoo, okay. You know, I'm going to leave them right here. So I'm going to go with the Grim Forest and Blitzkrieg. In one pile. Okay. And then what's this other one? And Archipelago and Royals in the other pile. Brady, I, I listen, if you're giving me free money, I'll take it. That is that is going to be Blitzkrieg and the Grim Forest okay. are going to be. All right, I'll take Archipelago Listen, I don't and know. There, there, if there is some magic in Archipelago, we have not seen the magic yet. Yeah, that one, that was one of those games that we played, and we were like, what? what? It's just what the did, most, like, we happened? were excited for it. Even going through the rules, like, this is going to be interesting. But we're like, what are we doing? So right. we're, that one's going to need. All right, so I'm going to pick four here, just randomly choosing from the pile. This is exciting, Brady. Thank you for surprising me with this. Ghost Stories. Marco, Marco Polo. Polo. We have Western Legends and Downforce. Okay. Yeah, you went. You did go for some interesting games here. Western right. Legends, Downforce, Marco Polo, and Ghost Stories. Hmm. We've both played... Actually, I haven't played Ghost Stories, but I'm pretty familiar with it. It's a cooperative game. It is a very challenging cooperative game. Yeah. It's really cool. You're Tibetan monks trying to protect this this village from these impending ghosts. Um and Wang Fu, I believe, is the is the main evil. We got Marco Polo, which is a big I want big favorite of, of big favorite of both of ours. We have Downforce, which is the gamer version of Camel Up. And Ave Caesar combined with a little bidding and uh and Western oh, my Legends, word. which just had another Kickstarter. Um and it's a sandbox, basically right, Red Dead ready. Redemption 2, the the board game. Here we go. Marco Polo paired with Downforce versus Western Legends paired with Ghost Stories. You're giving me free money now. It's hands down Marco Polo Downforce. I was tempted you. I knew you were going to pick the one with Marco Polo because I wanted both Western Legends and Ghost Stories. I think Ghost Stories is a fantastic, unique theme of a game. Very challenging. Um, I know they've re... Um, themed uh the game to be last bastion i think it's by repost games um and gives it more of uh, arthurian kind of knights i think it's it's a travesty oh, because i've got some bangers here. yeah because ghost stories is a really cool theme. like i love the whole kind of tibetan monk mysticism type uh theming and i wish we had it in more games um it's some of the artwork can be a little dark at times but it doesn't push over the top all right brady what do we have in our new uh so we have games. some wow. bangers. We got Gloomhaven, Decrypto, Zulkin, and Blue Lagoon. You wrote all four of these. I can tell by your handwriting. So you are <laughs> in an interesting dilemma, good sir, because I, I know, know you want Blue Lagoon. But the question is... 
I think right, it's, I I'm like gonna, Blue Lagoon. I've never said Blue Lagoon is not yeah, a bad game. I'm gonna split them up like this. I actually, I mean, I would be okay with any of these, really. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thank I'm, you, Brady. Um, so we have Zulkin and Blue Lagoon paired and, with Gloomhaven and, and Decrypto. Decrypto. The the level to how badly I do not want Decrypto on my. You list. really don't like Decrypto that much. <sighs> it just takes so long. But it's the better. What? It's 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 the better. What is one of my biggest sins in board gaming? Downtime. Downtime. In between my turns, well, right? I'm not doing anything. You're not paying. It's because I don't know why, but you don't pay attention because you have things to do. You have things that you have to decode, and you got to be working on them the whole time. Yeah, so. but we always play with the group, and I feel like no one listens to my opinion. All right. <laughs> um. So I'm gonna go with oh man, Gloomhaven. Hey, listen, Frosthaven. Frosthaven's coming out soon. I'm going to go with Zulkin and Blue Lagoon. You can have Decrypto. Good start. All right. I'll take gosh, Gloomhaven and Decrypto. All right. All righty. All right. So how many more of these do we have? Um, we'll we both do, do it one more time after this. Okay. Well, I will. Yeah. We'll do it. We'll both do it three times. I've just done it twice. Yeah. Okay. We got Great Western Trail. Troy, Tw- yes. Trois. X-Wing. X-Wing and Role Player. Role Player. Yikes. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting <laughs> choice here. All right. I already know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pair X-Wing with Role Player and Great Western Trail with Twa. Now, okay. I did not mention this to you, Brady, I don't think. I also got in a game of Twa yes, over the weekend. It on the we beginning. played with it way before you, you pick. We played with some parts of the the ladies of the wall, maidens of the, the wall. The purple ones, yeah. And so we add, we didn't add all of it, but we added the purple dice, which essentially is a dice that no one else can take from you. And yeah. I think that that definitely uh, we, made me enjoy the game a remember, lot more. But we played that originally when I played with we, the purple dice. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. and you still didn't like it. I it's different. I could give it another. I chance. think we need to give it another shot. It's different, and it definitely like I played it four times now. And after four plays, there was no more of like, what does that mean? What is that symbology? It actually is some interesting strategy. All right. Do well, you trail twa, or would you like X wing and role player? I feel like you really you really lobbed this one up for me with X wing and role player. You got Great Western Trail and Troyes. I do like Great Western Trail, Twa Troyes. No, I can't. I can't let X wing go. I cannot let X wing go. That's so why I'm taking role player. Um, if we had an episode called Take the Trash Out, uh, Role Player would be on that list. Role Player is very popular. It's so, it's so stagnant and stale and boring. Like, the the whole fantasy theming is pointless. It literally makes nothing. You're literally just playing like a Sagrada um, Azul, just pairing up dice with their colors and values. That's literally yeah. all you're doing. You could have made it about, I like, I do like accounting. the theme, though. but it, It's so generic. The theme... Is very it's a generic fantasy, but the mechanics are just a little bit too much. It's not even that. It's just like it's it, it, the whole time we're playing. It takes like, a why long is, time. Why is this? Why is this fantasy theme? Like the the it was it I mean, made I no the purpose. Theme, I think think of the fantasy theme works pretty well. I think it's cool to build your own character. You should just made it about dinosaurs. That would have made it way better. Dinosaur like, DNA, like genetics. Like take role player, the dinosaur island edition. All right. All so, right. I am picking up and adding to my repertoire. Great Western Trail and Twa, and according to the Board Game Geek Top 100, Brady, you are wrong on Twa. I do want to play Black Angel. I love the aesthetic and the art. I believe it's it. I may be wrong when I say Ian O'Toole 
and Black Angel. I could be way off on that. Let me double check that. But Black Angel, it's a really cool looking game. It's kind of the spiritual successor to Twa. Um, I know a lot of people said it wasn't as good. It was one of those games that had a lot of hype uh, when it first came out. And then after, I think, um, I can't remember if it was Gen Con or Essen, when a lot of people um, got their hands on it, they kind of said it wasn't as good. But it's interesting enough to where I'd like to try it. Um, yep, I was right. Ian O'Toole was involved. Okay, double check that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's ranked... 687 so i mean it's still a top 1000 game um, but it's not in the top also right. brady real quick before we move on i'm looking here and i have exactly two hours to decide whether or not i'm going to back western legends the big box i'm gonna do it which you sold already base game because no one was playing it with me but we also weren't playing games like we are now that was a long time i sold that years ago i played it at your once. game night once oh my god i'm gonna get I it i can't believe you're doing this i'm gonna all get right. it i'm gonna get Anyways, it with the upgrades next too. round here we go We've got the greatest game of all time, Liar's Dice versus, you'll have to help me with this. Rhinelander. Rhinelander. Yep. I actually never heard of this one. You played this. I, I, thought, I thought you played this one with us. Let me look here. Rhinelander. I believe it's a, it's a Reiner Knizia game. That's the whole why called Rhinelander. Yeah, it came out in 99. It's a Reiner Knizia game. Essentially, there is a river that runs from the top of the board to the bottom of it and there are spaces adjacent to the river all the way along this curving path and you're trying to vie for control of these territories you're essentially drawing cards from a deck similar mechanics very basic type stuff you'd find in like royals and things like that but you're drawing cards and these cards have numbers on them that show positions along the board oh, okay i remember and you're trying to put pieces in on those spots and then you're trying to pair them off against other spots it was like it's a game that like looked completely silly and gimmicky but it was actually some interesting strategy in it I shouldn't be telling you all this because now you know what I'm going to pick. <laughs> um, oh, wow. That is a combination. All right. So you're pairing up Liar's Dice with Hadara and then also Wavelength with Rhinelander. Well, Brady, <laughs> again, you get, you're getting, making it very easy. Oh, because make again, it very easy? Uh, in comparison to Decrypto, my strong burning desire to not have Wavelength, Wavelength part of my list and how much I enjoy Liar's Dice. And I've never not enjoyed Hadara. It's not a game I want to play all the time, but I do think it's very solid in what it does. Um, I'm going to go with Liar's Dice and Hadara. Well, see, the joke's on you is because you guys always turn down Hadara. So this is my... You're trying to prove a point? Yeah. So I just got you. Next time I suggest Hadara, I'm going to say, oh, well, well it, was on your, it was on your list. Brady, it has been a while since we last played Hadara. So I would be willing to play it. Did they ever release any expansions for it? Um, they do have a couple of expansions. They're really hard to get uh, to get a hold of. All right. So like now we else. both have ten. Uh, so I'll run down mine. I have Grey Western Trail, Zulkin, Twa, Blue Lagoon, Ghost Stories, Western Legends, Blitzkrieg, The Grim Forest, Liar's Dice, and Hadara. Rounding out my ten. And I have Archipelago, Royals, Marco Polo, Downforce, Gloomhaven, Decrypto, X-Wing, the Miniatures Game, Roleplayer, Wavelength, and Rhinelander, which I've never heard of. So I'm excited to play it <sighs> 10 times this year. What? So, We're playing this game 10 times? Yeah, you. The, I said this is this is now your 10 by 10. I thought you said we were imagining it. <laughs> well, we can knock out Liar's Dice in five minutes. We can play that. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I would not be opposed. Like, honestly, a lot of these games, I hope I play more than 10 times. 
Like, I would love to have more contained well, games of Blitzkrieg and Western Legends and Zulkin and Great Western Troll. And you know what? I'd actually like to play some more Trois. Ghost Stories and Blue Lagoon are both great. I'm really happy with my list. So what we're going to do is we're going to post these lists of our 10 uh, I Split You Choose edition, um, and we'll see who chose wisely and who chose poorly. Looking forward to it. I'm uh, glad you like the game. Yeah. I Listen, I love surprises, and I love being competitive. I still want more <laughs> trivia, though. I always ask you for Brady, give me board game no, trivia, and you you're refuse. No, because you destroy me at trivia. I know. I don't know all the artists and designers and the backup designers and the backup artists and all that. Well, what you know. need to do is there's different ways people make trivia. There's one option: make it so easy that everyone knows and everyone just feels good about themselves, right? Yeah. There is the option where you make it so difficult that no one ever possibly could know it, and then you're just guessing on it, and it's just funny. But then there's like in the middle where it's like. It's trivia that if you're if you're into the trivia stuff, you can get. I think you should go and make it just like super, super hard. And it's just like, wow, what on earth are these uh, answers, these trivia questions? And then we can just kind of guess on them. I don't know. I'll take trivia however you give it to me. Yeah. Well, we would have to have one of the other guys write it up for us. So. We'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. I know John's going to be very, very upset he wasn't able to make it on this week's episode because he would have loved to talk about the board gaming scene. Yeah, and the, and League of Legends and League of Legends, and talk about how much time and money he spent. Was it Destiny? No, it was League of Legends. Is that he spent thousands of dollars on and time? Yeah, yeah. He always says big regrets on that one. Yeah. Now he's married, so he can't make those same mistakes. Yeah, his his new wife Caitlin will protect him. Yeah. From all sources of of wasted time, <laughs> i.e., spending time with us. No, I'm just joking. All right. Well, that's gonna be it for this week's episode. Uh, as always, I'm Matthew. I'm Brady, and this has been the, the discussion, discussion phase. phase. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Discussion Phase. If you enjoyed our content and like to hear more, make sure you tune back every week for new episodes. You can follow us on Instagram at the Discussion Phase for new posts, reviews, and recent plays. You can also join in on the discussion on our Discord description and link below. Let us know what you think of every single one of these topics, which list you like better, what thoughts and ideas you'd like for us to review. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>